Folks, as you know, once in a while, there was an episode in the past on the Remnant Call that was so powerful, I had to bring it back up again. I was blessed some years ago to realize I had known who Marty Breeden was because of doing some work where he was a police officer at, but I really didn't know him. God brought us together, got him over to my house, and did a powerful interview I was just listening to, and I realized it is for today. So tonight, we are going to go back to this powerful warning, Brother Marty Breeden, when he had went code blue uh, several times uh, over in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm telling you folks, you do not want to miss this. So join me now as I play this interview. Folks, I'm telling you, it will not only wake you up, but it will fill you with hope. And so I'm just excited tonight because we have a special program, a special guest, and that's Deputy Marty Breeden is here with us. I had heard Marty's testimony on another program, and I started putting two to two together, and I realized, you know, I used to do this guy's computer work years ago. And so he lives not too far from me. So we've got him right here in the studio tonight here at the Remnick Hall and really excited to have him here. And with that, we're just going to open up tonight with a word of prayer. And then we're going to bring Marty into the program and just ask that God would take control. Father in heaven, we thank you in the name of Jesus and just ask that the words that come forth tonight would be your words and not mine, not Marty's, but they would be glorifying to you and you alone. Lord, we ask that you would touch people's hearts and you would stir the body of believers to take forward this message, Lord, this message of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, folks, I am especially glad that Marty is here with us this evening. You may have heard him before. Deputy Marty Breeden is currently serving as a deputy sheriff in Page County, Virginia. And with that, Marty, are you here with us? I'm here. How are you this evening? Well, I am wonderful, and I just want to say thank you for coming down here to my house to actually do this recording. Not only are you here in the house, but you brought your wonderful daughter, Mathea, here with you. It is my honor and privilege. Thank you for having me. Well, praise God. You know, I was so excited when I heard your name. I just knew, man, I know this guy from somewhere. And sure enough, I used to do this man's computer work. And like I mentioned earlier, and so when I reached out to him and reminded him of that that time doing his computer work, well, he was gracious enough to agree to come down here. And so I didn't want to have to strong arm him, but, <laughs> but I was glad we had a relationship with that. Absolutely. Anyways, Marty. July 17th, 2015 was a day that changed your life forever. Absolutely. You were, from what I understand, on vacation that day looking for a little bit of time off when your life took a sudden turn for the worse. It did. I had been taking just a few days off from working as a police officer uh, for the town of Newmarket that I'd been with for nine years. And I had been having a long battle of, of health issues that I was somewhat in denial about. I had some things that I knew, uh, asthma. Uh, I ha- was having a lot of stress in my job that's somewhat associated with law enforcement. Uh, I was also having some addiction issues uh, with alcohol. I uh, was not dealing with the, with the stressors of the job uh, real well. Uh, what I didn't realize was that I had sleep apnea at the time that was undiagnosed. 
Um, what I did not realize also that I was having a CO2 buildup in my system to where I could not get oxygen in and CO2 out. And what would eventually culminate into truly a life-altering event uh, on July 17, 2015. Um, I was in the living room that morning, and my wife walks in, and she looks at me, and she, knowing that I had been having some health issues, being very short of breath and not sleeping well and constant migraines and, and just a series of things, and she walked in, and she looked at me, Frank, and she said, you don't look well. You're going to the hospital. And she said, when I said, okay, she knew that something was wrong because I'm a cop. I'm 10 feet tall and bulletproof. I don't need to go to the doctor. I'll be fine. But I knew that something was wrong. So we went to Centera RMH um, in, uh, in Harrisonburg. And when I went in, we began to tell them that I was short of breath. And they began the diagnostic test with me. And they did the EKGs. And they did the the blood tests. And they really could not determine what was going on at the time. But while I was in there, while I was in the emergency room, I began to digress. Um, at one point, uh, my heart rate began to go really fast. At one point, they said that the bottom chamber of my heart was beating 150 beats a minute, and the top chamber was probably double that. And so I began to digress uh, physically, and they told my wife, we don't know what's going on, and but he's digressing, and we cannot give him the kind of care that he needs uh, in the ER any longer. So we're going to move him uh, to critical care. So when they moved me from uh, the critical care, after they had looked at all of the, the results and everything was off of the charts, blood wise and EKG wise, when they were moving me from critical uh, from the ER to the critical care unit, that's when I went code blue and I absolutely quit breathing on my own. Um, at that point, I had to be intubated, and I was placed on a respirator. Uh, eventually had to have a trach put in. Um, but what I want to talk about is when I coded the first time, uh, because I ultimately coded again. Within 48 hours, I went code blue twice. But when I coded the first time, I, uh, I went through a tunnel. And it's beyond description how fast you go through this tunnel. I'm a cop. I know what it's like to go fast. And this is beyond anything that I could possibly uh, articulate uh, with how fast I went through this tunnel. And when I came out of the tunnel, I immediately heard the voice of the Lord and it was very recognizable and it was absolutely undeniable. And I heard his voice and he said something that I did not expect. And he said these exact words. He said, my church does not really believe that I'm coming back soon. I stood there, honestly, just in stunned silence. And I'm on this part of it. I don't normally talk about what I saw. I only talk about what I was mandated to come back and tell what I heard. He said, my church does not really believe that I'm coming back soon. And then he said it again. My church does not really believe that I'm coming back soon. He said at that time with more passion, and even it was even louder. And then he said it a third time, my church does not really believe that I'm coming back soon. And at this point, it was almost like I was a school child. I began to wave my hand 
to like interrupt. You know how you were in class and you would try to get the teacher's attention because you wanted to be recognized. And I remember that's what I did. I, I raised my hand and I was waving my hand and I said, Lord, Lord. I said, yeah, yes, we do believe you're coming back soon. We, we sing about it. We pray about it. We preach about it. We teach about it. Lord, we do believe that you're coming back soon. And then he said this. He said, my church does not really believe that I'm coming back soon, for if they did, they would not be living as they are. It was the, as if the Lord, he was, he was not angry, but he was very direct, and he wanted to get his point across. And he said this, he pointed his finger at me, I'll never forget. And he said, because he wanted me to understand exactly what he meant. And it was at this point that I realized that even the timbre of his voice and the tone of his voice changed. He said, he pointed his finger. He said, I am coming back soon and my church is not ready. He said, now go back and tell the things that you have heard and know that your message will not be received. At that time, I really had no idea how significant that statement would be uh, from the Lord and how eventually that would become so true because the first year I went and I'm going to share another part in just a moment. But at the first year, as I put this together and I began to go around, I probably told 50 pastors or more and it was in fact rejected. It wasn't, it was not received just as the Lord said. Um, there was only one pastor, a, a disabled pastor in a small country church that asked me to come and share uh, with, with his congregation of maybe 12 people. Uh, what the Lord had had shown me while I was in in the hospital, and I went and shared, and and God moved powerfully in the service that morning. Um, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, and I want I want to just back up just a second. August the fourteenth, um, I was transported from Rockingham Memorial Hospital uh, to UVA. So ultimately, I wound up spending three weeks uh, in the critical care unit. Um, I. I Obviously survived. I went to progressive care for seven days and then was transported to UVA transitional care facility for 11 days to learn how to walk, talk and swallow again. Um, and my first night there, now the apostle Paul said something that's interesting. He said, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. So I'm just going to share with you what, what happened when I was there at UVA. Um, I feel like I need to maybe explain this just a bit before I, before I move on, oftentimes when Jesus spoke, he spoke very directly and very succinctly. He would, for example, John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's no wiggle room in that. He spoke very directly. However, many times when he spoke to his target audience, he wanted to make sure they understood exactly what he said, and he spoke in parables and symbols and illustrations. And, for example, the wheat and the tares, the prodigal son, the pearl of great price, the mustard seed, the lost sheep. He often spoke in a way that he knew that his people understand. And I think the Lord often speaks to us these days in the exact same way. He may tell you something, Frank, and tell me something. He never contradicts his word or himself, but he may show us in different ways. And that was about uh, to happen to me in a very profound way. So that night, my first night in UVA, as best I can recall, was my first or second night. I'm pretty sure it was my first night. I had this vision that it started off as an oval-shaped, small oval-shaped light, probably just a little bit bigger than an egg. And this light began to get brighter and brighter and bigger and bigger. And it began to come into more focus till I finally saw 
that I was standing in this huge football coliseum at nighttime. And I was there all by myself and there was no one else around. And I looked down at the two yard line and there was a football on the two yard line. And I looked up at the scoreboard and the scoreboard said two thirteen. And immediately that same voice that I had heard the first time when I coded that exact same voice said, my church should be living as though this is the two minute warning. And God knew that I would know exactly what that meant. I'm a huge football fan. And I knew that in that last two minutes, that last 120 seconds of a game, that can determine victory or defeat. The referee is getting ready to blow the whistle and the game will be over. If you're winning, you build up a strong defense and you don't allow the opposition uh, to score points and to gain yards. If you're, if you're not doing well and you're losing, you do all that you can to push that ball into the end zone to gain uh, as much yards and as many points as what you can. So God knew that I would know exactly what that meant. Well, Marty, let me ask you a question because you mentioned before that the first time you heard the Lord's voice, that you knew it was the voice of the Lord. Had you heard God's voice before in your life? I had, but and that is a really good question and not one that I've been asked before. I had heard his voice, but not in this way. This was more of a, of a personal way that I heard him, I hesitate to say audible, but there, there was a knowing that it was his voice, even though I had heard him whisper in the past, and, and, and it was most of the time done through like a leading or, or something, this was a direct word directly to me. And I find it interesting, Marty, because you mentioned at the time that you yourself, before all this happened, you had fallen off the wagon somewhat. You, you, you'd had a relationship from what you've explained to me before in life, but prior to this, you were struggling yourself in your own walk with God. I was. It, um, I actually come to know the Lord when I was 17 years old and had a, a very dramatic born-again experience. And then as life happens and over the years, uh, my walk would with the Lord would ebb and flow, and it would it would at times be very fervent, very passionate, and then at times I would begin to struggle. And this right before this incident was one of those times that I was beginning to struggle uh, quite a bit, and uh, even as I've said, uh, started drinking while never on the job, but I would self medicate to deal to deal with the stress. Um, but I want to get back if we can to the. Well, the reason I ask you that, Marty, and I want you to continue on, but the reason I ask that, and I think it's important to realize, is that you at that point in time were off, um, you were not walking straight with God, but yet God had not left you in your life. And it reminds me that verse in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, when it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. And and I find this interesting that, Marty, even though you at the time had shared that you had been struggling through some alcohol and things, God had not left you. But then in this moment, now he's bringing you back. And, and it's kind of like, you know, when we get off the path, now God's bringing you back and he's giving you a warning. Yes, he is. It, he is, and, 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 and you make a great point. And we, we read in Hebrews where Paul quoted the Lord by saying, Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That means that I have probably taken him a lot of places he didn't want to go. But he never did leave me, even though I walked away 
myself at times, he never left me. And even through this experience, he was there and his presence was there. And he was using this to draw me back because even though I had fallen and taken a real hard turn and, and went away, he was drawing me back and he had never left me. He had never left my side and he knew my heart beyond everything that was taking place on the outside. He, he knew my heart. Amen. Amen. So the more I see this scoreboard and I, he says, I hear him say, my church should be living as though this is the two minute warning. Now, the next morning, Frank, I wake up, uh, I'm at this point still in a wheelchair at UVA. Um, I'm looking out my window in my room and I'm thinking about everything that had transpired and everything that had taken place and this amazing vision that I had seen and looking at the scoreboard and seeing the, seeing the 213 and, and all that had taken place and how the church should be living as though this is a two minute warning. And again, knowing exactly what that meant, uh, to me and, and, and how the church should be conducting itself right now. I was sitting in the wheelchair and there was a knock at my door. I said, come in as good as I could because I'd had, I still had the trach apparatus. I could barely speak. And in came two ladies and they were obviously part of the medical staff. They had their long white medical uh, robes on and one introduced herself uh, as my physical therapist and the other one. And she introduced the other lady. She said, she will be your occupational therapist. So she said, can we speak with you about treatment? So I said, sure. So she began to tell me the different things that they were going to do and the different uh, treatment plan that they were going to try to put me through physically and even occupationally because I'd been in law enforcement and, you know, I'd been off my feet now for so long and I had went code blue twice that I may have to choose a different occupation. And so we're talking about all this, this treatment. And in the middle of this, the conversation took a very odd turn. The girl looked at me who was my physical therapist. And she said, Mr. Breeden, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, yes, you can. And she said, would you consider yourself a man of faith? And I said, honestly to her, just as you and I were talking, I said, well, I certainly haven't always lived it. And I haven't always been where I should be. I said, but this has been a real wake-up call. And this has really brought me back into a place to see things in a way that I haven't seen them for a long, long time. So I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. And when I said that, Frank, she looked at the other lady and they smiled at each other. And I thought and said, I said, what's, what's going on? I'd never met these ladies before. They didn't know me and I didn't know them. And I, I looked at the physical therapist. I said, I said, I'm not a, at all offended by your question. I said, but that's kind of an odd question for a physical therapist to ask a patient, isn't it? Are you a man of faith? And she said, well, let me tell you something, Mr. Breeden. She said, we were not supposed to come in and see you this morning. We were not supposed to come in and see you for several days yet. She said, but Becky and I, was the other girl's name, she said, we were passing in the hall on our way to see different patients. She said, and as we passed in the hall, going in opposite directions, and we got in front of your room, she said, I looked up, she said, and in the spirit, she said, this is how I can, I, the only way I can describe it, in the spirit on your door was the number two. And she said, Lord, what does that mean? And she said, the Lord, and she asked, she said, do you see that? And she said, I do. It's the number two. She walked in and she said, 
So I'm asking you. She said, if the Lord spoke to me, he said, when I saw that, and said, Lord, what does this mean? He said, you go in and ask that man if he knows what the number two means, and he'll know exactly what you're talking about. She said, so what does that mean to you? And I, she had no idea that hours prior, just a few hours prior, that I had had this vision, and the Lord speaking to me that we should, the church should be living as though this is the two-minute warning. Wow. Out of the mouth of two or more witnesses shall all things be confirmed. That's powerful, brother. You know, it's interesting. I had read when True News had done their interview, uh, the little short, the clip about you, that they went and independently verified that. And I said, wow, praise the Lord Jesus, because that's powerful. They actually went and made sure that your testimony was right before they aired that. And they not only did they say that it was right, but apparently they gave a little more information um, that the Lord had spoken to them about what had happened with you. Yes, the the girl, um, her name was Aileen, and she's to this day a dear friend. I speak to her quite often, and she's spoken to my life so powerfully. But she also said that the Lord said that the number two, there was a dual meaning as well, because this was my second chance and that I would not get another. And so I take that very seriously in my walk with the Lord. So it's interesting what she shared that morning. But if we can just fast forward and then we'll come back to this. But the the interesting thing about about the two-minute warning, for as I said, for a long time, after that, when I come home and I put everything together and I began to try to share with pastors and, and tell others what, what had happened, I, I, I really, before God began to, after about a year, began to break down some barriers and open some doors. And I remember the first time, and my daughter's sitting just feet away like she was this morning that this happened, and I, I, was, I had gotten an invite to share at, at, a, at a larger church uh, over in the Page County area. And I, I remember sitting there in my living room that morning and I said, Lord, I said, all that you've shown me and all that you've given me now, it seems like you're opening doors for me to go out and share about your soon return and how your church is not ready for your return and how we should be living as though this is the two-minute warning. I said, but Lord, there's one thing that I've I've never quite understood and one thing that I've all, all, often wondered and, and kind of grappled with. When I, I understand the two-minute warning, I understand the necessity, Lord, for us to be out just going as, as hard as we can to live for you and to do things and, and, and do things in your name and, and to share your love and your mercy with others. I said, but I've never quite understood. When I looked at the scoreboard, why did I see 213 instead of two? Why didn't I just see two minutes? Why did I see 213? And as my daughter's sitting here, she can tell you, Frank, that I, I heard the Spirit of the Lord uh, in a different way. It was, a, it was an internal way, but I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, Son, turn to the book of Titus. And so I opened my Bible, and I turned to the book of Titus, and I heard the Lord say, Turn to chapter 2, verse 13, 2.13. And this is what it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's powerful. He's coming, and he's coming soon. And the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, he'll return. Mm. So I think that we are on, we're seeing so many things happening in the world right now, but all of these things were foretold. Just as it was foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin, just as it was foretold of his coming the first time, and all the prophets were told about the things that, would, that were going to happen and that would, that would precede his coming the first time, they happened exactly as they were foretold. Now we're reading 
in the Word, where we see, you know, we can read Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark, and we, we see where all of these signs, Jesus said, when you begin to see these things happen, know that my return is nigh. And we're seeing many of these things happen right now in our lifetime. Marty, I got a question for you, and you may not be able to answer this, and that's okay. But why do you think God chose you to share this message with? That is that is something that I have honestly wondered myself. I think the Lord knows our hearts, and He knows what's in us. We, The Bible clearly tells us that man looks on the outward, but God looks upon the heart. And the Lord knew that I would tell, and He knew that I would be faithful. He also knew that I would not bend it uh, to a particular to, to try to appease. And he knew that I would get, give the message that he gave me and I would give it uncompromisingly mm. and that I would, I, that I would tell it exactly as I was given it. I feel like it was a message for the church. And I, I go around from church to church, trans denominationally, uh, not one particular time. I, we get invited to go and, and sing and share everywhere. But I get the message is constant, and the message is this: that he has he has promised that he was going to return. He tells us in John fourteen, he says, "I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will come again." Mm. And the message is that he is coming again, and he's coming soon. And the there is no way that I can really describe in human words the urgency and the eminence in his voice when he was speaking. Um, I, whenever I get invited to do an interview, I'm almost surprised that I get to do that interview because his, I'm surprised that he hasn't returned. It's, it's that real to me. It's, it's that apparent that it's going to happen at any, any moment at any time. And I'm expecting his return daily. I expect his return. Mm. Marty, I, I, you know, I think God chose you, and I don't know this for fact, but you're an officer, you're trained in the law, and you're trained to respect the law and to obey the law and to to judge according to the law of God or of the of the world. And and God needs somebody that's going to be faithful yes. to what they're given. And you took an oath to defend and protect the Constitution and the Virginia State Constitution yes. too, to uphold it faithfully. And I think that's what God's looking for today is men and women that will uphold his word faithfully. Amen. Um, and that message that he's given you uh, was not a uh, an easy message. No. Um, it was not something that you're going to be able to just, oh, Brother Marty, please come share this openly. Um, you had mentioned that you've found a great resistance to sharing this message um, with the people. If you could share a little more in depth about that, um, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, was given kind of the same thing. He was told that the Lord would give him the word, but nobody was going to hear him. Right. Um, as far as we know, Jeremiah had no converts. Um, Baruch was the scribe, but we don't know of any tangible converts. And by today's, um, evaluations and the way we evaluate ministries, they would look and say, well, that was a failure. Uh, but we know that was a success, and we're still speaking 2,500 years later about the prophet Jeremiah right. today. And so God kind of told you the same thing from the beginning, that people weren't going to want to hear you when you spoke this. And 
I know, Marty, nothing is more frustrating than when you've got a good a message to share and nobody wants to hear it. I'm going to say something that I've, I've never said during an interview before, but, but this is the truth. And my, and my wife, uh, I've shared this with my wife and daughter. But during the, the first, when I coded, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, go back and tell the things that you've heard and know that your message will not be received. I remember the last thing that I said before I came back into my body was, great. I've really said that because I'm thinking, here, I'm going back with this message. Now, to speak to what you just said, pastors, many pastors, certainly not all, but God will always have his remnant. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of the church today, the pastors do not want someone to stand behind their pulpit and say, the Lord is coming soon and you're not ready. And if you really believed he was coming soon, you would not be living as you are. That is not a popular message. And that is not an easy message to give behind behind a pulpit and to look at over the people. But I say that to the church, and I say it with a broken heart. And I pray that I can always say that with the compassion of the Lord, because it's not a condemning message. It is a loving message, but it is a warning. And, and the vast majority of the church today that we see, and this is not a judgmental statement, but we, we don't see a consecration. We don't see a dedication to pull away from the world. We don't, we don't see that, that the, the vast majority of the church is walking the other way in, in severe, severe compromise. But the Lord is looking to call his people back into himself, into relation, relationship with himself, so he can, he can have the kind of relationship that he intended to have with his prized creation. And much of the professing church is so far away from what he intended it to be. And it's not a popular message. And it's not the kind of message that I'm gonna that that is gonna generate a great offering. No. Because it's a message of rejection most of the time for the person who gives that message. But I'm sure it's a it is and it is a hard message because we know that today it's a it's a prophecy of the end times. Men's hearts shall grow cold. There will be a famine in the land of hearing the true word of God. We know that's what the word says, um, and we know that it will not easily be received. But at the same time, God promised there would be a remnant of believers. Amen. And you you've experienced the flip side, though you've experienced the message being received um, by people too. And, and what a good feeling. I know that's got to be when someone hears it. Amen. And I have seen this, the, the message, even though it was for the church, I have seen the Lord touch hearts of people. I have, as I begin to share often in churches, I will see the Holy spirit just begin to contend with men's hearts and people respond. Often the church is not uncommon for half or three quarters of a church when I give an altar call to make a public profession of faith in Christ and to accept the Lord for, for them to come forward and weeping. I've, and it often happens with, with the young first. But I've also seen God use this same message to bring those who don't know him at all and have never accepted him as Savior, the, the realization that the return of the Lord is nigh and that they need to get their life right before a holy God. Wow. You know, it's not always the world that needs Jesus. It's often the church. Amen. And I find more and more that Jesus is not present 
in many of the churches today. And it's interesting that you said the young come, and I've contended with this for a while, that the young people want to hear the truth. We don't have to have cookies and coffee and, and all kinds of things to fleshly attract them in. I find that the young, they want to hear the real truth and how it applies to what they're going through right now. And so I'm thankful that you've had the boldness and to be able to share this message and to see the response. Because, folks, sometimes I, when you feel like no one wants to hear, God's got someone to hear. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes you feel like you go and you preach a sermon, you speak at a church, you feel like, man, that was the worst thing that ever came from my mouth. And then someone comes up and says, that's what I needed to hear. And that's where God shows us again and again that it's him in control and not us. Our job is to submit and let him do the work for us. And Marty, I thank you for that. And I want to, I want to say something too, that, that, that this message, one thing that, 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 everyone is take takes away from this is that there is a, a level of repentance that we have to come to. And that is not a popular message today. The, le- the message of repentance. And it's, it's odd that we go back again. I want, I want to say this because when, when we, when we share this and we see the young come to the Lord, often the deepest level of repentance that we see with, with people just weeping before the Lord are the very young, as young as seven and eight years old. We've seen them even, even younger respond, uh, to the altar call with a level of repentance and weeping before the Lord that it's, Frank, I found it hard to pray at, at times, just my own self, just so beautifully see these people so beautifully moved um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, but we've led people to the Lord, seven years old, standing beside 70 year olds. And it's just a beautiful thing that God does in many of these services. You know, Marty, uh, uh, about a month ago, you know, I, I've, I've yet actually to share my story on the Internet with the people. Um, I'm planning on doing it one day when the time is right. But I've shared a little bit about my life of drugs, but something interesting that happened not too long ago. My youngest daughter, my oldest daughter already had, but my youngest daughter made a decision to give her life to Jesus. Mm. And Praise God. I was getting ready. We were going to get baptized. She was going to get baptized. And we're getting ready to go in. The pastor says, you're going to baptize her. And I was like, what? I thought I was just going to be in there with you. He's like, no, you're going to baptize her. And that day I got to baptize my youngest daughter. And I thought to myself, if I die right now, mission accomplished. To see my family through all the hardship that I put them through. And Marty, to see your family willing to endure some of your years. And yet here they are. We got your daughter here with us. One of your daughters here now tonight, sticking by her dad's side, the wife, everything still there. Our God is good. Amen. And he's doing a work. And even though the hour that we're facing is dark, there's a bright light. And his name's Jesus. Yes. And, I, and he's got a message to share. And, and Marty, I think something that's very important. You'd written an article the other day that was on the web. And that warning, even though that was back in 2015, you're sensing right now that there's been no change, that it's even now more urgent than ever. And, and you've been sensing in the spirit that we're on the verge of something, that there's something going on right now. And, and could you share that with our audience? I, I, I'm, I'm 
found it a way of life that it seems that the Lord will often speak things to me that a, a lot of other people, and I'm not trying to separate myself as being anything. I make no profession of being a prophet or a seer. I'm a police officer who uh, is a watchman at best and just one of many. But I've, I've been sensing that our nation is in grave trouble. And I hear so many people say that we have a respite and that things are, are, are going to get better and that it's all you know, warm and fuzzy now. And I'm telling you, Frank, in my heart, from what I'm sensing the Lord say, that's not the case at all. Yeah. Um, Trump is not the savior no, of this he's, world. No, he, no, he's not. And I pray for that man. I do. Yeah. And I pray yeah. for his safety and I pray for his administration. We're, we're, of course, scripturally supposed to pray for our leaders. Absolutely. But, but what I'm sensing, even this morning, and, and you, anyone who knows me, my, my, my family, my daughter, my 13 year old daughter say, I'm just, I'm just me. But I got up this morning, even knowing, as you started the program off, I, I, I alerted everyone this morning before six o'clock in the morning. There was a heaviness in my heart about something that was going to happen today. You can re- look at my Facebook uh, post, and th- there was a sense of, of something urgent, an imminent event that was going to happen. And we see what happened: the terrorism uh, in London. But sadly, I believe that that is going going to happen here uh, within our shores in unprecedented ways. And I think it's a lot sooner than what most people realize. And I recently wrote uh, something just the other day that has caused a firestorm. I wrote it on the 15th of March, and it was published um, by one of the Bible prophecy um, agencies. And I'm just going to read what I, was, what I was given. So what I'm about to say is not from a dream. It's not from a vision, as most of us would understand visions, yet I have seen. It's a sense in my spirit that is so strong that I must warn, even though I know ahead of time this will be discounted by many, mocked, and even ridiculed. In my spirit, I know and have seen that there will be attacks coming to the U.S. during our church worship services. I have seen the doors burst open and black-hooded men in camo coming through with guns and shooting indiscriminately. I've seen them lock the doors behind them to inflict the maximum amount of casualties. I've seen the shock and fear on people's faces as it takes a split second for them to actually realize that they are about to be face to face with the one that they were just singing about. I see these attacks as a coordinated effort. I believe that many of the houses of worship that are attacked will be places where the attackers had frequented to get a feel for the layout of the facility. For those who are able to escape, there will be those waiting outside to inflict and deal the same type of punishment as those received on the inside. When this first takes place, many Christians will do as was done in the early church in the book of Acts, and they will meet in homes and secluded private places. I've seen people taking their Bibles to these meetings and also armed as well to provide protection for their families and their children. But just when it seems that there can be no more tragedy, these attacks will start again in rapid fashion. And it will be a common occurrence here in the U.S. to hear of yet another Christian church, another meeting, or another Jewish synagogue attacked with deadly results. Mm. No amount of media coverage or lack thereof will deter these attacks, nor the public response to those who have perpetrated these evil acts. This has been in the planning stages for years as the attackers, both Muslim and haters of those who do good, join forces to stop the mouths of those who preach truth, love, and the righteousness of God. They will lash out against all that resembles God and his holy people, both the remnant, the elect, and the Jew. This nation will be so weakened and in such disarray that other nations of the world will offer to send help. And it is with a broken heart that I say and share these tidings. 
Yes, there will indeed be some logistical victories in some places, but it will be as though it was the belly of hell has opened up itself in a war against the saints. My counsel to people is to prepare as though you feel the Lord would have you to prepare, but prepare you must. And I see this coming. Frank, I've, uh, this, it's a hard word to deliver. Uh, it's, it, it's a breaking word. It's, it's, it's something that I have through tears. I, the Lord dealt with me for, for weeks and weeks. And I would sit down to begin to write this and I would just, I would walk away. And finally, one day the Lord said, no, you write, you write what I'm showing you in your spirit. You know, folks, that sometimes you may hear that and you say, nah, it couldn't happen here. Um, ask him in China. Ask them over in the Middle East. You know, ask them in these places where the Christians are being hung on crosses, where they're being crucified and persecuted and beaten and thrown in prison and starved and everything else. Ask them if this is real because it's already happening everywhere else. And I, when I read in the Word of God where he says he's no respecter of persons, Marty, there, and I think sometimes in America we've got this false sense that it's you know that we're the only chosen ones and that there's nobody else that we have a certain type of immunity and that's not the case. And when I go overseas and I'm in Africa and I see the faith of these poor people that have nothing and yet their God is so huge in their lives and I come back here to the U.S. and so many times it's like well we'll call God when he, when we need him and and we think these things aren't going to happen, folks. We've got another thing coming. Our life could change at any moment. You know, it, it, in 9-11, nobody thought that day that the Twin Towers were coming down. And for many people, they went to work thinking, this is just another day. Just like you woke up that morning in July in 2015, Marty, thinking that, hey, this is going to be some great vacation. Right. Well, it ended up being a life-changing moment Absolutely. in your life. And folks, the last thing we want to do is wait until the tragedy starts and then decide we want to get right. But we want to be like Asa was. And in the times when there's peace, we want to seek God. For then when the, when the bad times come, he was justified because he was already in relationship with God. And he wasn't waiting until the war happened. It was during the times of peace that Asa sought the Lord. And we want to do the same things in our walk with Jesus. And Marty, this word... I hear you saying, I've heard it's been talked about. Demetri Dudeman has been warning about, he warned about this before he passed away. Um, there have been many men of God who have warned about this through years coming. And folks, sometimes just because things take a year or two or a decade or two to pass doesn't mean that the words are any less truer than when they came forth. God in his grace and mercy sometimes tarries because he loves us. And the question is, Marty, knowing these things that are going on, what are we doing about it? My, my biggest fear is that the church is not taking, taking it serious, the threat. And we should be on the front lines of warning the people that the, the church should be rising up in a way that they're not at this point. And I think that people need to prepare. They need to prepare spiritually first to make sure that Jesus is Lord of every aspect of our lives. And that we're dedicating uh, our, our every day to him. And then for me personally, I even think that we need to consider logistically preparing. What, what about that day? What happens when we turn on the TV one day and it says special report and you see simultaneous attacks and things begin to digress in this nation? And I can just see that things could go downhill very, very fast. And I will tell you that there are... 
lots of contingency plans, and I'll not say anything I'm not supposed to, but there are lots of contingency plans, um, and things could digress in this nation very, very quickly. But we are not without hope. Jesus is our hope, and he is our strength, and and he will he will provide for us and and but we have we have to look to him now in a way that we never have before you know marty that's very interesting that you say this and my father came on and we did a program a while back on um um you know preparation for the last days you know noah had a plan joseph had a plan and folks we know that your 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 physical preparations uh are only so much. Um, it's in the spirit and by our relationship with God. That's what's going to carry us because three days out of Egypt, they were already crying to go back. And yet the Bible says they spoiled the Egyptians. They left out of there loaded. And in three days, they were ready to turn back. But that doesn't mean that we don't make common sense plans. Now, Marty, I don't want you to say anything you can't say, but you work in law enforcement. The government, they're not ignorant about the times that we live in, are they, when it comes to the, not the relationship with God, but they're not ignorant to the seriousness of the hours that are upon the world and in our nation right now. Not at all. And, and even the government, you can go on uh, the FEMA website, uh, it's public knowledge. You can go on the, on, and they say that you should have a 30-day food and water supply, non-perishable food and water supply for every member of the family. So logistically, I think it is wise, and you made good points, Noah prepared. Joseph prepared, you know, so there, there, there's wisdom and logistically being prepared because the last thing that we want to do is when a crisis does strike is to be caught up in the fray of trying to provide for our families. As I say, and it's a common sense saying, it's better to have it, not need it than need it and not have it. No, that, that is a very, <laughs> a very wise thing to say. You know, uh, you know, the Bible even talks about the prudent man when he sees the evil coming and he hides himself. Um, folks, listen, we're not here to fight the government, okay? We're not here. I've heard some of these survivalist shows, they're ready to rage war. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about some food and some water because ultimately God's got to come through. Um, we are not, we, we are not here to make war except for in the spirit. Absolutely. And that's where we make our war on our knees. Marty, you mentioned something earlier though about repentance. Yes. Okay. And that there was a strong level of repentance. And I, I remember back in the book of Acts chapter two, you know, Peter got up and, and gave one blistering sermon. Yes, he did. He, cru- he said, you crucified the Lord, yes. right? It was a, that was not an easy message. I think sometimes we read through it and we don't understand the level of intensity. And, and at the end of the message, it was amazing. It says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be ye baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The reason I bring this up is because, Marty, we were mentioned earlier about, you know, you would had some years where you were not walking close to God like you should. I had my years where I was in blatant, utter rebellion to God. And the thing was, is that when you receive a word, when you understand um, this message of the hour, repentance, folks, is not something we need to fear. 
but something we need to embrace. See, so many times your people are brought into the church and they're told, well, you know, accept Jesus. He'll improve your life. He'll make you better and make you feel good and everything. And the first moment a lick of trouble comes around, right. boom, they're out the door like that. Because no one told them there was going to be tough times right. and there would be hardships. And if they hated you, know that they hated the Lord first. Right. And so what, what happens, folks, is that when we don't repent— and we don't allow God to search deeply in our hearts, we end up carrying all this baggage around in our lives. And we end up w- walking halfway with God because we're afraid to open up the door and let him seek out the secret parts of our heart. And Marty, you were mentioning about repentance. Yes. Well, it's, it's the goodness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. And that message, albeit you know not, not popular today, most churches today preach, and, and it's going to sound like I'm chastising it and I'm, I'm being mean toward the church. I love the church, but most of what we hear from behind the pulpit is real good, feel good messages, and, but there's no message of repentance and getting your heart right before a holy God. And we're all going to stand before him one day. And when I stand before him, I want him to be able to look at me and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And sadly, our church at this point, the churches, many of those people that are going to say, according to what the Word says, according to what the Bible says, many of those people who think they're saved, think they're on their way to heaven, think that they're right before God, are going to stand before the God to whom they think they serve and knew, and they're going to stand before Him, and they're going to hear something that they weren't prepared for as well, and they're going to hear the words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. That's scary. What a fearful thing. You know, it's interesting that the church of Laodicea, the scariest thing about that church was, it was that they thought they were all right. And God said, you're blind, poor, and naked. They didn't even know that they were lost. Folks, nothing will be worse in life than to have the Lord return to find out that he wasn't coming for you. But the good news is, is that it doesn't have to be that way. God wants us to not only be assured of our salvation, but to be confident in the one whom we serve. So that when we go out and share the good news about this Jesus and his soon return and that he can save your life, it's because we know that he saved ours. Amen. And that we can stand in that confidence that no matter what trial we've been through, God is able to keep our backs. And Marty, we're getting down close to the end of the program now. And I appreciate what you've shared with us tonight But as I was explaining to you earlier, and folks, the remnant call is about strengthening the body of believers. And Marty, I want to bring this down and kind of really make this real here at the end. There are a lot of people that are struggling out there. Right. Some of them think God's even left them. Maybe they've sinned too bad. Uh, Maybe they've committed the unpardonable sin. There's so much confusion and people not even understanding what that is. But they feel like they've gone past that point, that maybe almost unreachable. How do I get out of this? How do I, you know, just not only hear, but actually have God make that change in my life? What would you say to those people right now? Well, it seems such a cliche to say that Jesus loves you, but he really does. He he loves you. He looks at you and you're, you're, you're the apple of his eye. You're his prized creation and he, he absolutely loves you. And you have not outsinned the grace of God. 
And there was a saying that I heard one time that I'll never forget is the only ones that never fall are those that just stay down. And I have fallen, Frank, probably as much as anyone I've known. Yet the, I have learned now that when I fall, I get back up and run into the father's arms because if my daughter who is sitting here right now, if she has done something and has disobeyed me, I don't want her to think that I'm mad at her. When she hears my voice, I don't want her to do like Adam did to go play the first game of hide and seek that we ever know of in the book of Genesis to where she hears my voice and knows that she's done something wrong. And all of a sudden she wants to run from daddy. I want her to hear my voice and to know that even if she's done wrong, that daddy loves her, that I will welcome her back, that I want to embrace her no matter what she's done, no matter where she's went, no matter what has happened. I want to hold her and I want to love her and I want to embrace her and say, you know what? You're my daughter. I love you. And I think that's often the way it is with the Lord. We, some people, maybe some people that are listening have, don't have a walk with the Lord at all. And they just happened to tune in and got, and you sense something, you sense something drawing you right now. And you're like, I'm not even really for sure what that is. Well, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit will, is drawing you to, to the Father. And all that you need to do when that happens is open your heart and say, Lord, Come in. I, I sense you, Lord. I know there, there's a knowing in the, in the heart of every, every person who's created. There's a knowing and, and a desire to have a relationship with God and with, and, and to know their creator. And so if, if someone's listening and they don't know the Lord and you sense God drawing, you've heard this message about the coming of the Lord. That's, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's contending with your heart. And just if you open your heart, he will come in. He said, he said, he who comes to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And if you've, known the Lord and you've walked away, know that he is as close as your next breath. And if you're sensing the Lord drawing you back right now, and you sense that Holy Spirit squeezing your heart, and maybe tears are flowing down your cheek, and and maybe you're saying, oh, but I've done this, and you can almost hear the devil standing on your shoulder saying, but you did this, and you did that, and you've done this, and all of those things may be true, but God says, but I love you, and I want to draw you to myself. And all you have to do is repent. The, the word of God tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's as simple as that. We make it so complicated so often, but it's just a matter of coming with a contrite and a broken heart and saying, Lord, I sense your presence. Lord, come into my heart and forgive me and renew my walk with you. Wow. You know, Marty, that, uh, thank you for sharing that. You know, folks, I love the story of the prodigal son, but for many years, I didn't really understand it very well. I saw this lost child, this lost son that was out there living in the world. I saw myself, but what I never saw was the father truly in that story. And what I love about that message is that when the son realized just how lost and how messed up and how far gone he was in life, and he decided to go home because he knew the mercy of his father, which you just mentioned yes. a moment ago, the mercy, the God's, how much he loves us and wants to be with us. The Bible said that when he was coming afar off, that the father, when he saw him, the Bible says he took off running. Yes. See, it tells me he, every day the father was looking. Yes. Right? He was watching for that lost child to come yes. home. And when he saw him come, 
He took off yes. and he went running. Folks, when you make that cry to God, when you make that plea to God, yes, you've been living with the swine, maybe. Maybe you've been you've you've spent your inheritance, you've done everything wrong, you've broken every promise you've ever made. And if you know, welcome to the club, folks. We've all been there. But at the moment you cry out, the Bible says that when the prodigal comes home, the father goes running. And I want to encourage you tonight to take that call. Jesus, stand there. He's at the door. He's knocking because he wants to come in. And you've shut it for long enough. But folks, just open, turn the handle tonight and open up. Marty, what you shared is a serious message. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. But it's not his will that any should perish. Amen. He gives the warning because he loves his people. And he loves he loved Marty. And I see that here today when his daughter's here with us. You know, his wife is still Marty, through all your trouble, your family's still there. They're still and there. my family's still here. Yes, thank and God. that's the God we serve. Amen. Amen. He's a God of restoration. He is. He is. And reconciliation. Amen. <laughs> Folks, no matter where you've been or where you're at, God is calling you home tonight. Won't you make that decision? If you want, email me, remnantcall at outlook.com, and I'll pray for you, folks. I'll take it seriously. I will bring it before the Lord, and we'll pray, and we'll believe that God is able to save and, 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 and can restore you from wherever you're at and start out today. You know, they always say the darkest hour is right before dawn. And my, my cousin used to say the, the quickest solution between you and your problem, the shortest distance between you and the answer to your problem is simply the distance between your knees and the floor. Amen. And so, folks, please respond to the call of the Lord tonight. If you don't know, if you, this is the first time you've heard Brother Marty, please catch him on Facebook, look him up, Marty Breeden, and, or, or look out on there on the web, and you'll find him and share this good news that Jesus is coming back soon. Marty, I just want to say thank you for coming here with us tonight. Thank you for bringing your wonderful daughter here with us, Matea. 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 Okay. Uh, praise God. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at names, but Matea, the female version of Matthew. Hallelujah. <laughs> but I want to thank you for coming and thank you for being a picture of God's grace and mercy. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and privilege to be with brother, you. Brother, share this message faithfully to the end. Amen. Thank you for your service as a police officer and more importantly, your service in God's army. God bless you. This thank is you. Brother Frank and Marty Breeden from the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom. Trumpet in Zion, 